Ian, 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 I am back from holiday. I was down in London for a few days. Anything happened while I was gone? Ian, hello. I, Ian? Uh, Ian, are you in here? Hello. No, no, not in here. Are you in here? Of course, of course he's not in here. Why would he be in the minibar? Uh, but I'm here talking to myself. That's, that's chaos theory, isn't it? Um, uh, through here. No. Ian? What? Uh, what you... What are you? What are you? What are you eating, Ian? What are you wearing? I'm wearing my smoking jacket, obviously, and I've been watching the the news feeds from the UK, and I've been eating just a fantastic amount of popcorn. And honestly, Jamie, I feel a little ill. I've been eating a lot of popcorn in the last few days. Yeah, like like a lot. You say you're eating popcorn. It looks like you're wearing it as well. I, I mean, come oh, on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've got a bit on me. Yeah, that's, that's that is disgusting. Come on, don't. Don't don't dress yourself like this. You look like you're going to be appointed to a new cabinet position. That's true. I mean, I, I have put my hat in the ring for the you know Tory leadership. You a Tory? No, I just thought you know everyone else was, so I, I just didn't want to feel left out. Well, now I'm here, and we can talk about the tabletop game news sphere world thing as it oh, stands. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, and on that note, sure. I am Jamie Adams. And I'm Ian McAllister. And this is Brainwaves, episode 102, bringing you the best in tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of the 11th of July, 2022. Wizards employees conjure up some justice. You've got the key, you've got the secret, and a double dose of awards. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. As we are all no doubt aware, a recent United States Supreme Court ruling overturned the 70-year protection for women to get access to safe abortions across the country. The fallout of that disastrous ruling is now resonating across the country, with pregnant people being denied certain medications they need under the possibility that it might cause an abortion, amongst other horrendous things happening. Several large gaming companies have publicly stated their support for reproductive rights, but noticeably silent was Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast. Rather than making a public statement, CEO Chris Cox and Chief People Officer Najuma Atkinson sent a statement to staff on Monday the 27th. We will read the text of that in full, provided by the site Polygon. We are committed to fostering an inclusive workplace where our colleagues feel welcomed, respected and represented. We are also committed to and have a long history of providing comprehensive healthcare benefits to our colleagues. We affirm our commitment to providing consistent and equal access to healthcare, including reproductive healthcare and other critical medical services, regardless of where you live in the United States. This applies to you, your spouse or domestic partner and any dependents and would cover new enhanced travel benefits. We will continue to do everything we can to ensure that decisions about your personal healthcare remain strictly confidential. If you have concerns or questions on the situation and what resources are available, we encourage you to speak with your HR business partner. We know that this may be a difficult time for many of you. I want to remind everyone that we offer several mental health resources, including counselling and virtual therapy options that can be found here. And there's a link provided. The health, well-being and safety of all our colleagues is of utmost importance for us. Let's continue to prioritise and nurture inclusion at Hasbro. Regardless of your individual views, this is a time to demonstrate understanding, empathy and kindness for each other. Many employees were upset that this statement did not contain a more full-throated condemnation of the Roe v. Wade ruling. A group called Wizards for Justice appeared on Twitter on the 28th of June and released a statement that day, which I will now read. 
We, as employees of Wizards of the Coast, are frustrated, disappointed, and completely dissatisfied with Hasbro's out-of-touch, tone-deaf, and lackluster response to Friday's Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision, that healthcare for marginalised individuals is a privilege based on location and means, violates basic human rights. At a bare minimum, any ethical organisation should be offering healthcare, travel benefits, support, and a clear message of solidarity. Any messaging that suggests or implies that there are other valid opinions and approaches to this further marginalisation of already at-risk groups on their bodily autonomy is unnecessary, invalid and damaging. Such messaging only seeks to protect and validate those that seek to control and is the wrong direction for any organisation with as diverse a customer base as ours. And involved in the statement is this. On Wednesday, June 29th, all employees are encouraged to take a day to reflect nurture mental health, and show solidarity that Hasbro will not. The statement goes on. Decisions like this cause suffering, and it's this that we ask, on the same day, Hasbro leadership to reflect on. Particularly, how messaging like this violates and stands in the face of a diverse and inclusive workforce, and creates yet another burden for already marginalised people. We also ask that leadership understand that policy, opinions, and perspectives are not the same thing. And respecting the ability for people to have varying opinions does not equal lack of damage and harm. Equating opinions and ignoring this is a choice towards harm. Additionally, we recommend that Hasbro acknowledge the disproportional impact this ruling has on marginalised people, fully disclose details on additional healthcare travel benefits, as many other companies have already done, and include Wizards' representation in future conversations about healthcare benefits as a whole. At the time of recording, we're recording on the 9th of July at about 8 o'clock, 2022. Uh, we are unaware if that walkout actually happened or not, if our, uh, any action was actually taken in Wizards' offices. At this time, we cannot find a statement from Hasbro on the subject either. We'll provide a link back to episode 101 in the show notes where there is a bunch of links to various organisations that are helping with reproductive rights in the States and charities you can donate to and all sorts of other information. So we'll link to that again in the show notes. It's kind of sad to see board game companies the size of Wizards and Hasbro and Asmodee, I don't think I've really put out a statement either, not lead the charge in doing whatever they can to protect protect reproductive rights. This is really a time for big gestures and full-throated support, and anything else is just not really needed. We need big companies to stand up and say where they stand properly. But, you know, as long as it doesn't uh, affect their bottom line, that's the important thing. Can't come out with a decisive statement, or if you do come out with a decisive statement, a decisive statement which you set forth a list of things that you are going to try and do, emphasis on try, and then, of course, a couple of weeks later, and let's not kid ourselves, it's not even months, it's weeks, that you just quietly just go, yeah, it doesn't matter anymore, does it? Yeah. The train has moved on. Well, I remember all the controversy about, for instance, uh, Tabletop Simulator at the start of the year, and they were meant to be doing various things to help out the LGBTQ community, and I don't think any of those have really come to fruition. We should probably revisit that in a future cast. But sticking for a brief moment, uh, sort of fourth part of our usual, our headlines are usually three pieces. Uh, a little extra thing we're going to put in here is there are two indie bundles up right now that are helping raise money for abortion funds in the United States. As ever, the gaming community has been swift to provide support for those in a time of need. And on itch.io, there's an indie bundle for abortion funds containing a wealth of indie games, mostly of the digital variety. That's raised about $232,000 of a $400,000 goal. 
Uh, 100% of the proceeds of that bundle goes to the National Network for Abortion Funds Collective Power Fund. This moves money directly to abortion funds across the United States, with a particular focus on the South and Midwest, where it is most difficult to get access to such services. And there's also a tabletop RBG bundle on it, which has raised a, a goal of about $128,000 last time I checked about two days ago. I think it's still going. Uh, this includes games from Rowan, Rick and Deckard, UK Company, UFO Press, Tanya Flocker, Evil Hat Productions are in there as well with the excellent Agon. Is it part of that bundle? Which is a great game about Greek heroes. Fantastic. Jamie bought it recently. And the proceeds from that, the proceeds from that bundle will go to Planned Parenthood and the National Network of Abortion Funds, NNAF. And uh, yeah, it's wonderful again to see the gaming community rally around for a good cause. It's a terrible tragedy that it's needed in any way or form. Jamie, it is always award season. Constantly. You just never take the hat off anymore. As I said last time, and I'll continue to say, I used to think of it as award season, but awards happen all the time in the tabletop industry. So we've got a little doubler for you today. Now, as Ian said, usually we only have three pieces of news for our headlines. I think we're going to have five today. So number three technically, is the Cardboard Edison Awards. Now, they're one of our favourites here at the Giant Brain HQ. A melting pot of unsigned games and burgeoning talent. It's always an interesting one to keep an eye on to see what the up-and-coming game designers might be working on, you know, who they're going to be. This year, there were two tracks for submissions, an online one and an in-person one. The two winners were Capetalism, see what we did there, designed by Christopher Chan, which took the top honours in the online track, now, in this game, players are garden investors growing the value of the flowers in their secret stock portfolio. Using a go-like gardening mechanic, players plant and surround flowers in a central garden to manipulate their stock values ahead of an inevitable market crash. Well done to Christopher Chan. And the other one for the in-person track was Roommates, designed by David Masnato. Combining companionship, cooking and cohabitation, players compete to determine who is the most popular roommate by cooking meals for their friends and doing chores around the kitchen through dual-use action cards. Well done to both those winners. I hope the games are signed up soon. And i got to say, I am all here for roommates. Both sound excellent. Looking forward to seeing them in, in the flesh. Yeah. Or as it were. And... Our second piece, so that's number four story, is the Any Award nominations. That's right, the Per Any RPG Awards. Thank you. I, Thank you I, very much. I, did, I didn't approve that one. I don't care. Uh, you have been watching politics all this week. The I'm going to say it again. The Per Any RPG Awards, the Ennies, have had their nominations announced recently. The RPG Only Awards have 23 categories and a group of five judges will decide the winners to be announced on the 5th of August during Gen Con, which is one of the largest gaming conventions in the world. Now, there's some quite interesting categories here because it's RPG only. Some of them are, include Best Cartography, Best Monster Slash Adversary and Best Rules, which will be very interesting to see uh, how they come out because I think Best Cartography, sometimes you just forget you just want a nice map. Indeed. And uh, I had a quick flick over the Any Award nominations. I have to admit, I didn't recognize a lot of the names in there. But I, uh, I did see that Thirsty Sword Lesbians from Evil Hat Productions was in there a few times. Um, uh, there's a couple other bits and pieces I saw Root, in there. The Root RPG from Root Magpie RPG Games is also in there a, a lot. Times, yep. Which I, I definitely want to get a shot of at some point. So yeah, uh, good luck to all the nominees. And I'm sure we'll revisit this come August. And of course, we 
at Brainwaves and the Giant Brain want to continue our pledge to you of we announce these awards and then most of the time we have no idea about most of the games and we will try not to play them so we are not biased at all. Absolutely. We want to remain completely in the dark, as good journalists should be. Uh, I have absolutely no idea what a board game or a tabletop game is. Back in the dim and distant past, we covered the seeming cancellation of the game Keyforge from Fancy Flight Games. This was a game where you bought a deck that was generated by an algorithm, where each deck was named and individually unique. Was this the one designed by um, uh, King of Tokyo designer and Bunny Kingdom designer Richard Garfield? Yeah, I don't think he's designed anything else famous. So yeah, just just King of Tokyo and Bunny Kingdom. There, his his two big titles. Oh no, there is one. There is one more. There is one more. Um, Robo Rally. Robo Rally. Yeah, that's the one. That's Sorry, the yes, I I forgot to credit him for Robo Rally. You're no, it's all right. Don't worry about it. It's all right. That's why I'm here. I'm here in it. Yeah, you're, you're here to keep me right. Yeah, yeah I, I I keep that magic alive, mate. <laughs> I gather up all that stuff and I just I bring the magic. That might be the best joke you've ever done. I peaked. I peaked too early. Uh, yeah, peaked too early into the, the second century of the Brainwaves cast. That's it. It's all downhill from here. There was a down. Fancy Fight Games stopped production after losing access to the program that made the decks unique. There were rumours at the time that they had suffered a cyber attack, but that has never been confirmed by the company. Well, now Keyforge has come full circle somewhat. Christian Peterson, a former CEO of Fancy Flight Games and designer of Twilight Imperium series and Game of Thrones board game, started up a new company called Strange Stars Entertainment shortly after leaving Fancy Flight Games. That company has several children companies, including one called Ghost Galaxy that, and I quote from their website, aims to be a premier publisher of tabletop games specialising in gameplay with digital augmentation. Now, Ghost Galaxy has announced its first game, and it's Keyforge. The game has been bought from Fancy Flight Games slash Asmodee, and has also endorsement from designer Richard Garfield. On Ghost Galaxy's site, Richard Garfield says, I have enjoyed working with Fantasy Flight and Asmodee. They really put their heart into Keyforge and did an amazing job bringing it to life. It has been disappointing that events conspired to shut it down for so long. It is a delight to see the game now go to a new steward, Ghost Galaxy, and in fact, the very first person I pitched it to, Christian Peterson. We have similar visions for what is possible for Keyforge, and I think we'll be able to do great things. An article on Ghost Galaxy's site covers the return of the game and areas that they will be looking at in the coming weeks. These include rebuilding the software engine, for obvious reasons, commercial release plan, consolidating and clarifying organised play, which many amongst the community have felt was a bit um, straighted and a bit all over the place, so hopefully they'll co we consolidate that. Uh, lo localised versions of the game, so more localised language versions of that game. Sorting out a new site for deck registration and communicating better with the player base. I mean, it's interesting to see this game come back. My experience of CCGs or that sort of game kind of returning after a while being dead isn't great. Like, Android Netrunner was great for a while, but then died off again. L5R is another one, led to the Five Rings, yeah. Uh, De Doomtown only really lives through crowdfunding campaigns. I mean, it lives. There's a community for it, for sure. But it's not like... the Eternal you'll, Struggle as well. And not like you'll find it in every shop. Vampire Eternal Struggle is even almost more niche. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely a community there for it. Uh, the Rivals card game, Vampire Eternal Struggle Rivals, is apparently quite good. And that's quite active. Because I remember when we... I remember when we... Uh, when Sorry, when we... When Keyforge first was announced and came out, 
it was 2018, I believe it was. And the Glasgow Games Festival held in, funnily enough, Glasgow. Um, You'd been talking about it a great deal because you were really excited. We got a couple of decks each. I think we got two decks each, some of that, and played it. And I think that was the last time I played Keyforge. And I don't know where the two or three decks that I had slash have I I, I gave all mine to uh, ex-co-host Ian Chandler. Did but you? yeah, I, I I really think that Keyforge needs to concentrate on that ability to just turn up to a tournament without prep and just buy a deck and play. To me, that was the the USP of Keyforge is you can just turn up, buy a deck, and have a game, which is great. It's also different. So, I mean, yeah, and also different to other things out there. Also, people complain, going, "Well, it's it's not my fault that I lost. I just got a bad deck this time." Now on to the rest of the news. But first, some more updates. Over the last couple of episodes, we have been covering the horrible behaviour of Dungeons & Dragons power couples Satine Phoenix and Jameson Stone. Apotheosis Studios was founded by Stone, and when the controversies broke, he stepped down as CEO. However, it hasn't taken long for him to reappear on the site, now just as founder, creative director, and lead writer-editor. So, you know, just a small slate of titles. We would like to take this moment to remind you that a lot of the accusations against Stone were to do with his behaviour surrounding his treatment of writers and freelancers on his projects. In the bio, there are links to Jameson's social media accounts. Those links are provided by the Wayback Machine, which takes historical snapshots of web pages. So basically, the company's deliberately trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Well, of course they are. In news that broke just a couple of days ago through the site Dicebreaker, Apotheosis has announced plans to wind down. Dicebreaker have drafts of a statement from the studio they obtained during an interview with Stone. Stone clarified that he was never removed from the company, merely stepped down, while the studio conducted its own internal investigation. From the draft statement, The rest of the team now has completed those investigations and found that while some individuals had legitimate complaints, the vast majority of the allegations to date levelled against Jameson and others on our team have been proven to be factually inaccurate. We believe that people should be shown compassion, given the opportunity to right their wrongs and grow as individuals. Dicebreaker points out that the factually was removed from a second draft of the statement they saw. Oh, really? Hey, really. Stone continued. As far as the Sirens, Battle of the Bard books, it was delayed and now it's going to be more delayed while those who are still working on the project deal with ramifications of cancel culture. There we are. There we go. And how and what effect cancel culture has had upon their lives. We'll be sending out merchandise that we already have in hand for US backers. While we will be finishing project, refunds will not be issued. Uh, I, I believe that a second draft of that statement from Dicebreaker also removed the... Uh, allusions to cancel culture there. <laughs> i wonder now, why is this yeah. similar to the uh, thing i know this is video games rather than tabletop games but recently if you were aware that activision blizzard are a horrible company when it comes to uh, treatment of people and yeah. activision blizzard have just been cleared of any wrongdoing uh, as a result of an investigation by yeah, activision so, blizzard yeah so yeah, first thing to emphasize is that the only investigation that's happened here is an internal investigation by the company that Jameson Stone founded and is obviously still heavily involved in of the founder of Apotheosis, who is Jameson Stone. So excellent work there. Just like 
please don't buy anything with these people's names or not. Backers, I know, are angry about Sirens Battle of the Bar. There's some asking for refunds. Now, because it's a crowdfunding campaign, because it's Kickstarter, I'm sorry, but you are not entitled to those refunds. I absolutely understand your anger and why you would now want them, but they are kind of legally able to say, no, we are providing the books, so you'll just have to wait. That's unfortunate, but it is the case. He, But by these statements, by the, by the read of that article, we'll share the article, the Dice Break article, it's a great bit of reporting. He has no intention of apologizing or changing. None at all. They're asking for an opportunity to right their wrongs and grow as individuals. But their actions speak to not caring. They don't care about anyone they've hurt. They don't care about anyone they've damaged by this. They threaten people with their power within the industry, their their status within the industry. They threaten to blacklist people. They, they were horrible individuals, and there were loads and loads of examples of that, and I'm sure there are loads more to come out if they ever do. But just don't buy anything with these people's names. Though. Don't interact with them. Don't give them the time of day. They should be done in this industry forever. And talking about people who should be done in this industry forever, RPG writer, alleged abuser, and all-around terrible human being, Zach S., has had his products banned from being discussed on the RPG subreddit. A little aside, thought you'd like to know. On to the news, Jerry. Sad news that the creator of the phenomenally successful media franchise Yu-Gi-Oh! has died aged 60. Kazuo Takahashi was found in the sea off the Okinawa prefecture of Japan. His cause of death has not yet been confirmed, but appears that he died after a snorkeling trip. A spokesman for the Coast Guard said, We're investigating the case as both a possible accident or crime. Now, under his pen name Kazuki Takahashi, he wrote Yu-Gi-Oh! as a manga in Shonen Jump magazine from 1996 to 2004. Now, it spawned a great deal of media off it and the famous card game, which was published by Konami. Now, it's estimated that over 35 billion cards uh, have been sold. And in 2012, the 100th Yu-Gi-Oh! Championship Series tournament in California, in the United States, broke the world record for the largest trading card game tournament ever held, with 4,364 duelists. Impressive. And one of the amazing things about Yu-Gi-Oh! Most, most sort of big card games like that sort of cycle the cards that are available to play in tournament play. With Yu-Gi-Oh! Pretty much every card, there's occasional bannings, but pretty much every card is still available to play. I remember seeing pictures of someone taking a Yu-Gi-Oh! deck to a tournament. It was like basically a gigantic plastic deck box, and that was their entire deck, and things like that. It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. I don't want to play it myself, but it's fascinating. Thoughts are with the family of uh, Mr. Takahashi at this time, and I hope that the cause of death could be found out. And he left an amazing legacy behind him. I left an amazing legacy, not only the manga the films, the animated TV shows, the action figures, and also this card game. I mean, Flamin' Egg. Also, yeah. bit of a side note, just on the subject of card games, did you see recently that there was a Pokemon trading card game tournament and someone showed up with a deck entirely comprised of jumbo-sized promo cards? brilliant thing about that was he didn't have any energy cards because they've never released jumbo-sized energy cards. So he yes. just had a useless deck, but he didn't care, and I loved it. <laughs> but, that's, but that's not the best part. The best part was that the Air Bud rule came into effect 
because... Please explain the Airbud rule, Jamie. The Airbud rule is from a film called Airbud, in which at near the end of the film, a referee is a dog who can play basketball. And he goes on a basketball team. And the, near the end of the film, the referee looks in a rule book and says, and I'm paraphrasing here, it doesn't say anything in the rule book that a dog can't play basketball. And the okay. refs and the judges looked at the rules for the Pokemon trading card tournament and there was nothing in there about a standard size for Pokemon cards. They just had to be, you know, legit Pokemon cards so the guy could play. Oh, sure, he didn't have any energy cards, but he could still play. Awesome. What a hero. Hero for our time. Roll20, the digital role-playing tabletop, has announced a partnership with One Bookshelf, the company that powers DM's Guild and runs popular site DriveThruRPG for PDF versions of role-playing games and supplements. The DM's Guild is the Dungeons & Dragons-specific part of that site. The DM's Guild is a way for writers to get their work seen by a large Dungeons & Dragons audience in exchange for wizards taking a cut of the profits. 50% cut, to be precise. This new collaboration will allow DM's Guild creators to create Roll20 content that will become unlocked when someone buys their module on DM's Guild. From the announcement uh, from licensing director of Roll20, Emily Floyd, at Roll20 we have seen passionate support for DM's Guild content from both our community and our creators, and we are thrilled to create a more seamless way to play that amazing catalogue of content online while expanding the possibilities for DM's Guild players and creators. Roll20 has long had its own marketplace for games and modules, and now it looks to be expanding its reach by linking up with the largest online marketplace for digital role-playing books. That would be good if... if, uh, if I Roll20 can do more stuff that isn't just D&D related, that would be great. I say that, it's what they get most of their money from, so why would they listen to a random guy like me? I mean, this is specifically a DM skill, so I don't know if that'll lead to more um, uh, integration with other things, so like, if you buy, for instance, uh, Blades in the Dark has got, like, modules you can buy on Roll20 that have got lots of tokens and sort of themed stuff around Blades in the Dark, so maybe there'll be a time when you can buy Blades in the Dark, the PDF on try through rpg and you'll get some of that content on roll 20 that'd be great to see i do if, hope this does what it says on the tin allows creators to profit more from their work uh, we're still i'm 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 personally still anticipating wizards announcing their own virtual tabletop it's probably around the launch of sixth edition in the next year or so and who knows if that this collaboration will last beyond that but we'll see what happens in my defense ian i did not listen to the news story that you just told me <laughs> Now, there are a lot of moves going on behind the doors of the crowdfunding behemoth that is Cool Mini or Not. If you've heard of Blood Rage or Rising Sun or Ankh, that's Cool Mini or Not. Some internal restructuring is happening as Guillotine Press, the comics arm of the company, absorbs the RPG imprint 2LM Press. Francesco Nepitello oversees all the RPG development at the company, but will now also take on the task of head of intellectual property. The company is growing the number of properties it has under its belt as well. In a deal with Riot Mines, it has acquired Trudvang Chronicles, Lex Occultum, and Ruin Masters. Kulminio not developed the Trudvang Legends board game previously. Theodore Bergvist, co-founder of Riot Mines, says, Simon has been a most valuable partner and instrumental in strengthening the brand of Trudvang Chronicles. Riot Mines is very excited to see such great brands as Trudvang, Nex Occultum, and Ruin Masters in the hands of a global gaming and publishing company. I'm sure the fans of those games will get a lot more content going forward, and a chance to delve deeper into those settings together with Simon. I mean, I've never actually played 
a great deal of Cool Mini or Nots games, but they're a big part of the industry. Yep, I played Rising Sun. How is it? Me. <laughs> you heard it here first, or probably not, but... This is going to be my new site. One word, one word reviews. I'll just record a podcast where I say one thing. Meh. Boring. Great. I thought oh. I was going to do that. No, I was going to do a board game review in ten words or less. But then I just thought, oh, it's just going to be Twitter, isn't it? Good TikTok. It. Be down. Ian, come on up. I am absolutely not. I didn't get a smartphone till twenty twenty. Till twenty twenty. What was I going to do with a smartphone in twenty twenty? Hit indie RPG Alice is Missing may be headed to a big screen near you soon. The game itself made waves last year on its launch with an innovative approach to roleplaying that was focused on communicating via text messages. The game is played live without verbal communications and to a strict time limit. Players take on the roles of people in Alice's life to discover why she has gone missing. Paramount has optioned the rights to the game with Becca Gleason on board to direct and co-write. Becca Gleason most recently wrote uh, The Summer I Turned Pretty for Amazon Prime Video. She was involved with Community TV series as production staff, and she's done a little bit of writing uh, on projects like Commute, Small Talk, and Summer 03 in the last few years. Spencer Stark, the designer of Alice is Missing, will join them to co-write. Spencer Studio Hunters Entertainment also made Icarus, that Jamie and I have played and very much enjoyed. It's a sort yes. of RPG in a box game about collapsing civilizations. I really want to play it again. I've had it for a yeah. while. I've only played it once, but it was it was good. About building a great structure, which you actually literally build a tower of dice, and then when the tower falls over, the civilization collapses. I think it'd be, I'd really like to get a sh- shot of Alice is Missing now because I hadn't realised that it's the same company. And one of the things I really liked what they did is they're doing a sort of introduction to RPG kind of style play almost, but in a very contained box with very contained rules, which I really, really like. So yeah, I'd, I'd like, like to get a shot of that. And it's wonderful to see such an interesting game get optioned in this way. I'd just like to remind everyone that anything being optioned means not very much. It's interesting because it's obviously it's our area of nerdery to talk about this kind of stuff because games gain options but that doesn't necessarily mean anything will actually come of it but you know there's a lot of streaming services out there now they're looking for content they're looking for things to turn into series even if it's short run things six episodes or whatever so yeah i think the likelihood of that game turning into series is much higher than it may have been previously We'd just like to take a moment to give a shout out to our lovely patrons. Thank you so much for continuing to support the cast and allowing us to actually do this weird little thing that we do, especially to James Naylor and Sean Newman, our executive producers. We'll link to all of James and Sean's bits and pieces in the show notes. There are a variety of ways to support us on our site. You can sign up to our patron. You can buy dice from Metallic Dice Games. There's t-shirts from Sir Meeple. And our most recent link up is with Geek and Son. I haven't actually got the link up there yet, but Geek and Son make incredibly nice tables. And I'll be putting affiliate links up on the site in the next couple of days. So if you would like one of their tables, and we'd really appreciate using our affiliate link because we get a good cut of that if you do and it would basically help us fund the cast for a good year or two with a couple of table spot would be fantastic so i'll put those links up in the next little while also a little reminder that tabletop scotland is on the horizon i am going to be interviewing john harper and david wright to the head honchos behind tabletop scotland on thursday the 14th that's the thursday after this cast goes out about all things conventions 
Uh, yeah, and we would love to have you along. It'll be on stage in our Discord. Uh, you can listen to me chat to the guys and you can ask your own questions afterwards. You can come along for a Q&A or send us questions via Twitter, Facebook or whatever other medium you want and I'll ask those on the cast. I'm sure it'll be delightfully unconventional. I've told you to get pun approval before the cast. How- Never. How many times? Never. Look, get, do the outro and we'll talk about this afterwards, okay? Had no. enough. Had enough of it. Fine. See you later, Ian. Enough of your hey. punnage. Fine. It's now just you and me, listener. <laughs> a scientific paper has been published by a group of scientists um, about their method of researching, Tom designing... Tom in there. <laughs> I know. I thought you were gone. Their method of researching, designing and publishing... Diamond the Game, a board game for secondary school students for promoting scientific careers and experiences. Now, the scientists uh, work at the Diamond Light Source, which is a UK's national synchrotron light source science facility in Oxfordshire. That sounds amazing. Yes. Now, we will link to the scientific paper itself. Oh, it's worth saying that that paper is on an open site. You don't have to pay for anything. It's, it's easily accessible. Diamond the Game is a board game designed for secondary school students to enable them to explore a broad range of science, technology, engineering and mathematics, STEM careers, STEM subjects and life as a scientist. Board games are a reusable and entertaining way to directly engage students in STEM, but careful consideration of mechanics, messages and accessibility is required to successfully deliver on this goal. Diamond the Game was designed and evaluated against these considerations. The inclusive approach to design resulted in a better and more accessible game for all. Its success is further evident in the rise of number of players who would consider a career as a scientist or an engineer after playing. The opportunities to explore collaboration, failure and the interdisciplinary nature of science in the game were particularly highlighted in discussions with students, teachers and careers advisors. I'm not going to go into it too much. I recommend you have a look at it. And also, I would also recommend that you follow or look at Claire Murray on Twitter, who is an Irish scientist, is one of the people who authored the paper. And she talks about a bit about the design process in a kind of more cut down, Twittery way. But as she talks about, for example, considerations for, I'm just quoting here, colour vision deficiency for players who are deaf or hard of hearing, for learners with reduced vocabularies and more. So the way they design the tokens, the their use of mechanics. There's one more thing I'm going to read, and that is the key messages. It's three three bullet points. The first one. Board games can be powerful tools for engaging the public with scientific research. Conveying cutting-edge science through play is not trivial, and the power of games to stimulate independent curiosity and conversation should not be underestimated. Second. Challenges, such as pandemics, make public engagement very difficult. However, creativity and a quick response can provide new opportunities and routes for engagement. And the last one. We should talk more about the reality of being a scientist. The game normalises failure as a key process in science, but this was unexpected for the players. Additionally, many players were surprised to find collaboration to be an important element in the game. Teamwork underpins 99% of modern science. So this misunderstanding about the skills involved in scientific careers in these age groups is very concerning. Big thanks to Matthew Dunstan for pointing that, this one out to us. I think he was involved as well with some of the design work on it. Yes, so he was. I, I'm, planning, I'm planning to reach out to the people behind it for a future meeting of minds or some sort of interview because it's quite an yeah. interesting little project. The authors are Claire Murray, Matthew Dunstan, Catherine Heron, Laura Holland, Sophie Palmer, David Price and Mark Basham. 
Thanks very much for listening, everyone. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and rating on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You'll see most of our content on Twitter. And if you'd like to join our little community, we have a Discord that you're welcome along to. And every Tuesday after the cast goes out, we have a little games night. You'll be very welcome to come along and play games with us. Our main site is thegiantbrain.co.uk where you'll find all our writing and podcasts. And you can email us about anything in the show or any news you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer on the cast at giantbrainuk at gmail.com. Thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye for now. Bye.